Okay, let's uh, dive in to uh, God's Word this morning. If you pull up your service page, you can always click where it says Today's Scripture. That's been updated this morning. Uh, we're going to start our series in Nahum, but I'm going to postpone that um, So, because I wanted to do a shorter, a shorter message. I didn't want to have to try to... Um, if you kind of cut the first chapter of Nahum in half, it's really depressing, the first part. So I didn't want to like give you half and be like, go home, have a nice week. So I wanted to be able to share the whole. So uh, this morning I kind of changed gears. Psalm 61 is where we're going to be. And then uh, in Matthew chapter five. Um, we've been, if you don't know, on Tuesday and Thursday mornings as a church for the last couple of years, uh, at 7 a, so 7.10 a.m., we do a Zoom call, and we pray through the Scriptures. We pray through the Psalms. So we've prayed backwards through, we've prayed forwards through, and now we're going back again. And so um, that's just one of the things we do. Whatever Psalm we're in, we kind of pray through. And one of our Psalms this week was Psalm 61, and I thought it was really appropriate. Uh, just where I'm at right now in my life, and maybe where some of you are at, what we've been coming out of in a pandemic, and all the other stuff, but I thought it was a, a really good psalm for us just to consider this morning as a short devotional. And then I want to follow up with some of Jesus's words um, as we read it together. So let's read this psalm. Psalm 61 says, God, hear my cry. Pay attention to my prayer. I call to you from the ends of the earth when my heart is without strength. Lead me to a rock that is high above me, for you have been a refuge for me, a strong tower in the face of the enemy. I will live in your tent forever and take refuge under the shelter of your wings. God, you've heard my vows. You've given a heritage to those who fear your name. Add days to the king's life and may his years span many generations. May he sit enthroned before God forever, appoint faithful love and truth to guard him. Then I will continually sing of your name, fulfilling my vows day by day. Of course, David is writing this. He's the king, which is interesting that David would say, hey, I'm the king. Could you give me some more days? <laughs> so I think that's quite comical. But it's also something we can pray. We can ask God to bless us. But David also understands that he's not praying for his kingship. David understood at this point that God had promised him that there would always be a king from his line, from his family line that would sit on the throne. And that's why David's praying this. David is actually not asking for something he wants. He's actually asking for something that God already told him would happen. And so he's kind of saying, and God, I'm, I'm, I'm reminding myself that, that this vow I've taken to be king is not useless. And even though my kingdom falls apart, his sons end up going to war against him. Like David's life was not real squeaky clean. It was a mess. David looks and he says, God, you've heard my vows. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, I'm committed. I'm, I'm trying to do what you want. And I know that you've given that heritage to those who fear your name. And if you know anything about David's life, David was a mess, but he always came back to God. He continually came back to him for his refuge. He continually came back to him and said, okay, I'm gonna trust you. Even when things don't look like they're working out, even when the world is a mess, even when it doesn't look right, I'm going to continue to come back to you and believe the promises that you have, not just for my life right now, but I'm going to actually believe the promises for hundreds of generations in the future. Like, I'm going to believe for something more than the world around me believes for. And if you remember anything about Saul's kingdom, 
who was the king before David, Saul was all about himself, his kingdom, him building it, him seeing it, him making it happen. And David, in the meantime, was just trying to survive Saul not killing him. And God was building David's men. He was building the kingdom for David while he was just running for his life. And that may be you. You may feel that way. You may feel like things are falling apart. You may feel like it's a mess. You may feel like I have no strength. Um, But you can say like David in the midst of this, this is a song David wrote with stringed instruments, it says, that you can write a song in the midst of it. Some of the greatest songs we love to sing are songs that were written in the midst of horrible things that people just sat and write, wrote. One of the most famous hymn writers ever to exist, many of her hymns, you, if I started singing them, you'd be like, oh yeah, I know that one, I know that one, was a woman named Fanny Crosby. She was born blind. She was blind her entire life. And she just wrote and was grateful. And she was blind at a time when it wasn't easy to be blind. Like you needed to depend on people. People didn't have like handicap accessible opportunities. Like it was difficult. She had to depend on the church. And so as an, as an encouragement to you, there may be things that you feel like you're blind to in life. And God says, look, you can cry out to me. I'm paying attention. Um, It doesn't matter where you're at or if your heart's without strength. I am a rock that's above everything else. And then he says, and you can remember that you will live in my tent forever. So even though this earthly tent we're living in is passing away, he reminds, David reminds himself to God I'm reminding myself that I will live forever with you in heaven. And sometimes that's all you got. (laughs) Sometimes at the end of the day, this is all you have. And to encourage you, when Jesus decided to come to earth and fulfill being the Old Testament Messiah, first off, he took 30 years to do we don't know what, right? He comes, he's born as a baby, and then 30 years later, he's... Still not on the scene. It takes, I mean, what is he doing for 30 years? Well, he's doing simple. He's obeying the Old Testament. He's doing everything we don't like to do for 30 years. That's what Jesus did for 30 years. He went to work. He got up, celebrated all the festivals and the Sabbaths, obeyed every Old Testament law perfectly, never ate anything he wasn't supposed to. Like, we can't say that. Anyway, I mean, that's what he did for 30 years. And when he begins his ministry, his first public sermon after he's baptized by John, which again, John's like, I don't need to baptize you. And Jesus is like, yeah, you do. You got to do what's right. That's why we baptize people. It's because it's the right thing to do. It's a declaration of, I am choosing to now go out for God, to, to, to show the world that it's time to live for him. That's what baptism is. It's an outward sign of an inward decision that we've made that God has done in our hearts. And so after he's been baptized and he, he's now going out, here's his first sermon. This is in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said when he saw the crowds, we know in other parts of scripture that whenever Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion. He also felt anger at times, but Jesus was full of emotion when he saw people. It it, it caused him to see all the pain and joy and suffering and like 
And so he's looking at this crowd of people that's gathered, and it says he went up on the mountain. Before, we were talking about the fact that God's established a rock, and here Jesus climbs a large rock. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. So now the disciples, you can picture it, they come up close, right? He's climbed this mountain. The crowds are there. He's walking away from the crowds almost, which is weird, and the disciples follow him, and he began to teach the disciples. Now, the reason Jesus does this, you have to remember, we're sitting in a space, and you can hear me, and it's acoustics, right? And we're, there's no sound system. Jesus didn't have sound system 2,000 years ago. So he couldn't necessarily project for everyone to hear. So the way that often when people taught in these days, they would get the message out is that you would teach your disciples and then the disciples would go out and form small groups and give the teaching that you just gave them. They would disseminate into the crowds and then tell the crowds what they just heard. Like he just came up for us to tell you this is what he said. Now, Jesus was probably pretty loud. He could probably be heard, but not everybody could hear. And there would be those in the crowd who would be like, what do he say? Huh? What? Just like you guys do often in your lives, right? Same thing. And so these disciples would need to be prepared to answer those questions. And here's what Jesus' first sermon he ever preaches is. He starts out with the word happy. In your Bible, it probably says blessed or blessed. The word in the Greek and in the Hebrew means happy. That's what the word means. Happy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. That's, that's it. Okay? It means happy. He says, happy are the poor in spirit. No, they're not. They're poor in spirit. <laughs> I've seen poor in spirit people. They don't look very happy. Right? And he says, no, blessed. Like, like a blessing of joy is on those that are in a place where they're, they understand their need for God, which is what David is writing in Psalm 61. I, I'm desperate. I, I am in desperate need of you, even though I'm the king and everything seems great. And everybody would say, look at David, he's the king. He's got everything going for him. I, I'm a mess. I'm desperate. And he says the reason that those are, made happy is because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In other words, you can't get to the kingdom of heaven unless you understand that the only happiness and joy that ever lasts is from being poor in spirit towards God and understanding that that's a great posture to have like David understood in Psalm 61, a posture of surrender before the Lord. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn. Happy, joyful are those who mourn. I did a little bit of crying yesterday. I won't go into why. I did a little bit of crying yesterday. I can't tell you I was really happy and joyful doing it. I wish I could tell you that. I wish I could stand before you and say, man, it was, it was great. But then he follows it up and he says, well, the reason that you'll be happy and joyful is because God will comfort you. You'll find comfort for others when you finally allow your emotions to be seen. And you'll find comfort from God when you stop trying to put on a face like Saul did and like David, you come before him humbly and say, here I am. He goes on, he says, happy, blessed are the gentle because they will inherit the earth. Again, you think to yourself, right? Do gentle people inherit the earth? Like if the Ukrainians gently looked at Putin and said, hey, we're going to be real gentle to you. 
Um, would, would Putin just say, oh, wow, that's amazing. I want to bless you now, and here's all your wealth back and all your land back. So when Jesus says this, he's like, blessed are those who understand that the posture before God is a posture of gentleness, and the reason is because they will inherit the earth. And I've said this before. Remember, you can gently murder someone. You can gently kill someone, or you can viciously do it. There is a merciful way to do things, and there is an unmerciful way to do things. God is very gentle. His, his judgment is very gentle. And we can take that judgment because we understand that there's an inheritance afterwards. And that's what David says in Psalm 61. He says, I understand that my life's going to come to an end, but there's something coming later. Then he says, blessed are those who hungry who are hungry or hunger. Do you ever feel really blessed and happy when you're hungry? A guy I work with on a regular basis, we all know, his wife, myself, all of his kids know that he is a hangry person. Like it is, it, it is the weirdest thing to watch him at work because when it gets towards about 11 o'clock, things, if things don't, aren't going well, he just starts like throwing tools and do, I mean, it is the weirdest thing. And, and I'm serious. I've learned to just look at him and go, go get a sandwich out of your lunch. And his wife does the same thing to him. And it'll be like, oh yeah, you're right. I'm getting a little edgy. And he'll go eat a sandwich and he'll be fine. It's the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm not kidding you. And he has these huge lunches. Like he packs three sandwiches, spaghetti, a salad, two apples, a banana. And like, I'm not making this up. I promise. Ask Jay. He knows the same guy. Absolutely true. And so, and it says, you're hungry, and then you thirst for what's right. Like, it's right for me to tell him, hey, you, you need something to eat. You need the right thing in you to change you. It's the same for us. We've got to thirst for God's righteousness. And then he says, blessed are the merciful, because they will be shown mercy. He said, you'll find happiness and joy in learning how to be more merciful. I'm trying to do that in my life. It's a struggle. It's not natural for me. I am not a naturally merciful person. I'm a very truthful person. But God says, if you want to see mercy, if you want to understand mercy, then learn how to do that biblically in truth and in grace, not in enabling, not in allowing. And then he goes on. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, happy or joyful because they will see God. In other words, if you approach God with a pure heart, with a heart like David, when he says, here I am, you're God, I'm not. He says, then you're going to see him. He's going to show up in your life. And then he says, blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called sons of God. And whenever we see peacemakers, we always think of like people that are making peace by not causing any problems. That's not necessarily a peacemaker. A peacemaker is someone who understands what peace is and is willing to fight for that peace. And sometimes it takes a fight to have peace in this world. Jesus said he's going to come to bring a sword. He says, I'm going to divide mother and father husband, wife. It's going to divide children. That's not his goal, but he said, if you want my peace, then you're going to see that it's about coming before me and understanding who you are. And he says, a true peacemaker understands, and here's the key, that I'm not trying to make peace for my own benefit or my own rules or my own will. I'm trying to make peace because I understand that there's a family that I want them to feel the peace of and a father that I want them to feel the peace of. And then he goes on, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, this is the one that always gets people, right? The other ones we kind of skip over, and each one builds on itself, by the way. The Beatitudes build. You have to start with poor in spirit, 
and it builds all the way through until you get to the place where you're trying to make peace and people who don't want peace are what? Persecuting you. They're coming back on you because they don't want peace. They want to win. And I can be just as guilty as anyone. And he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Real quick, most of our persecution is not righteous persecution. It's because we're dumb. We do stupid things and we deserve what we get. That's not persecution. That's just, you were a fool. (laughs) And thankfully, we have grace to go before God, like David did in many of his Psalms, like he does even in this one in one part, and says, I'm yours. I, I, I offer myself to you. I repent. And God says, I give you my grace. David knows there's a that it's coming. And then he says, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So he starts with the kingdom of heaven, starting in poor in spirit. And he ends with, you'll really know if you're doing well when people are pushing back against you because of the righteousness you love about who God is. And you're trying to show that to people that's going to get pushed back. And then you can really know that heaven is your only place that you're going to find safety, security, and everything you long for. And that's what David says at the end of his psalm. He comes to the end of that psalm and he realizes, like, I want you to extend your throne forever and that I might just be a part of making that happen so that your kingdom, David says in 61, can be built. And then he finishes, because he's not quite done, and he says, oh, and let me remind you, happy and joyful are you when they don't just persecute you, but they insult you and persecute you even more and falsely say every kind of evil against you, and then he qualifies it because of me. Because a lot of times people are doing these things because of ourselves, and we deserve it. And he says, no, if if you're in me, if you're walking with me, if your heart is for me, then know that this is the normal way that life is going to play out. Like David writes, he understands this is the normal way life plays out. And then he says, be glad and rejoice. He says, happy, joyful, happy, joyful, happy, joyful, all the way through. And then he says, verse 12, be glad and rejoice. Now there's like a command on our part. Before he's like, these things can make your emotions happen. Now he says, you have a choice. Just like David had a choice. You have a choice to choose gladness and to choose rejoice, to rejoice because your reward is great here in America. Is that that what it says? No, it says, because your reward is great in heaven. We might have rewards here. There are great things about being free and being in this country that I'm grateful for. But he says, your reward is great in heaven. And that's what David realizes in Psalm 61 when he says, I recognize that you're going to sit enthroned forever, that your reward is in heaven. And then God finishes as I finish. And he says this. If you understand these things, if you understand where true happiness and joy are, if you understand what the process of life looks like, if you can have a psalm like David hit you in the soul and you read it, he says, not only is it your job to be glad and rejoice, but he said, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. Our job is to take that message out of this place and to the best of our ability to sing in our heart and the Psalms that David sings to understand the process that Jesus says under this new covenant, here's what blessing and joy look like. It's no longer the promised land. You don't have to fight to get the land back. You don't have to fight to keep the land. That's done. There is a new blessing, a new joy, 
and it comes in understanding that I'm bringing it all. And we look for that in our lives. And the way we do that is pretty simple. It's through Jesus. David knew it. David knew that he couldn't save himself. He knew his kingdom would come to an end. And so he petitioned God and said, it's because of what you've, what you've promised, what you said would happen. And now Jesus says the same things. It's because of what you've promised. It's because of what you've said that I'm going to look forward and I'm going to trust you. So let me ask you this morning. When you read that Psalm and you read these Beatitudes, where's your heart at? Some of you may be in a great place. You're like, yeah, I'm in a great place walking with the Lord. Some of you may be hurting, struggling, wondering if this is really true. David had those moments too. Can I just encourage you that if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus like David did, his authority, his kingship, man, I would encourage you to do it. Trust him. Say, God, I'm gonna finally in my life come to you poor in spirit. No longer am I trying to earn my way to you and come to you and say, look at all the good I've done. Now you do for me. I'm done with that way of living. I'm coming to you poor in spirit, empty. I'm done. I cry out to you. And let God take you on the journey of a lifetime to teach you what true happiness and joy really are. And it is a battle. We're gonna be talking through war and peace is the series that Nahum that we're going to be doing. And we're going to talk through what that looks like in our hearts. And so I just want to encourage you this morning. Don't quit. If you don't know Christ, surrender to him. If you have surrendered to him, then be like David and keep coming back to that reminder of those promises. Be like the disciples who have to go out and now preach this message to the crowds. It would have been really foreign to a Jewish audience expecting the Roman empire to be overthrown by a Messiah and sit on a throne and take over. And he's looking at them, giving them this teaching would have been really confusing. We don't have to be confused because Jesus has died. He's come back to life. He's transfigured and gone to heaven. And he says he's going to bring his kingdom come and his will be done. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity just to come before you this morning. And thank you for your word that stands true for all time, that really does help us and speaks to our heart's desires, our pain and our suffering and teaches us what true joy is. And Lord, help us to to not take for granted uh, your work in and through us. Thank you for the opportunity to love you well. Thank you that for those of us who know you, we get to be your salt and light. And Lord, sometimes light can be, people don't want the light. It's too bright. And sometimes the salt just, we don't want to taste. We just want things bland and easy. But Lord, you've called us into the world to, to make you known, to bring flavor back, to bring vision back to who you are. And I pray that that would be our heart. Lord, I pray for those that are struggling. I pray that they would take this psalm and this teaching to heart. I pray for those that may not know you, that they would really question why they won't surrender. And I thank you for your patience with us through this process in your name. Amen.